Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. Hello, my friends. Get ready for another quick hit episode here. Today, we're going to talk about isolating your influence. And what I mean specifically by this is one of the worst things you can do, regardless of the field you're in, is isolate your social groups. And specifically, what I'm talking to is this. As a coach, a lot of times I'd see in my field that when people look to solve problems, they go to another coach. Maybe it's somebody they know, somebody they respect, somebody that's in a position that they view as elevated to theirs, anything, but they stay within that circle. Now, the reason I make this podcast, and you hear it in the intro, we talk about changing behaviors, attitudes, beliefs in the boardroom, the weight room, and everywhere in between. That's because I'm a huge believer in cross-training amongst your groups and the people that can help you. I think if you're only asking people in your trade, if you're only asking people in your field for help and for their perspective, you are missing out on a wealth of knowledge across many domains. Here's the reality. No matter what job you're in, right, and we have a wide range of audience members that listen to this. That's why I do not consider this a strength and conditioning podcast. No matter what field you're in, we are all living slightly different versions of the same reality. All of our problems are so similar. What's not similar is the way we tend to attack them. This past year, I did a little bit of an experiment. I always try to diversify the kinds of conferences and seminars and clinics that I go to, but this year I went to double the amount of business conferences, psychology conferences, even marketing conferences, because so much of that has to do with psychology research uh, compared to strength and conditioning clinics. Now, that doesn't mean that I quit researching my trade. It doesn't mean that I quit reading articles and staying up on the scientific literature. It just meant that I expanded the ambit of my network and my interests, right? I've always been interested in these other fields, but it's always been tough to kind of figure out where do I go to find these clinics? Where do I go to find these conferences? So I did that. And it's fascinating when you're sitting there listening and you're hearing the way other people collaborate, you're hearing the things that they struggle with, you're hearing the ways that they look into different avenues. Uh, one of the conferences that I loved and I highly recommend, and no, I don't get paid for recommending this, I wish I did, uh, was Robert Cialdini's uh, Principles of Persuasion Workshop. Now, if you follow my work for a while and you've gone through my online course, Bought In, which is almost entirely about influence, persuasion, and those things, or if you've come to The Apprenticeship, where The Apprenticeship, we spend nearly half a day talking about power dynamics. We talk about persuasion principles, ethical persuasion principles. We talk about what influence really is in organizational psychology and how to utilize it, right? Then you're familiar with these terms, but here's what kind of made me upset for my strength coaches out there. I asked them if they had ever had somebody in a health-related profession, aside from a doctor or what have you, anybody in a performance-related profession at those workshops. And one of the gentlemen said, you know, I've been doing this for over 20 years, and no, 
you know, and I, and I looked around the group and I saw that we had a dentist, we had a doctor, we had lawyers, we had attorneys, we had some guys that owned their own website development company. There were so many different fields in there and not one was represented from strength and conditioning, athletic training, physical therapy, or anything to do with performance. And I just look at the problems that we face in our field and you see such a lack of collaboration outside people going to their quote unquote go-tos that it's no wonder we have these problems. And it's something I talk about in one of my courses. There's a difference between your bridging and bonding social capital. So I want you to listen closely to this, right? Your bonding social capital are the people that are closest to you. Think of them as the people that would bring you chicken noodle soup if you're sick, right? Now the bridging social capital, that is a wider, more diverse group. Uh, these are people that are close to you, but they're probably more likely to, to be like your neighbors, right? You know them well enough. Um, some of you may be really close to your neighbors. In that case, they could be a form of bonding uh, social capital. But these are people that you know you can turn to. And the diversity within both your bridging and bonding social capital says as much about your professional and personal development as nearly anything else. So much so, in fact, it's interesting when you look at the data and you look at the research. Now, this is super interesting. They find that countries that have high bonding social capital, okay, so these could be countries, uh, a lot of them are uh, countries like Switzerland or Norway, right, in that part of the world uh, where there's a lot of uh, uh, homogeneity through the population that they find that in general, these people tend to be happier in those regions, right? We see elevated markers of happiness. We see people have higher levels of trust when you look at the literature behind this, but there's a trade-off to that. When there's a high uh, homogeneity amongst population, there also tends to be a little bit less, think about it, if you're always around people, kind of same ideas, same values, I want you to fill in the blanks, what do you think? There tends to be a little less innovation. Now, let's look at the United States. Trust is not high in the United States. United States always is on this tipping point. You know, this it's almost always on this tipping point, whether it's politically, socioeconomically, it's always on this tipping point where people are about to lose their minds, right? It's not a very, it's, it's a nation that right now isn't extremely close. Uh, there's not a lot of unification, but there is a ton of innovation. And that's what social science researchers show is the trade-off. When you have high bridging social capital, you have these diverse networks, right? People that you're close to, but you may not, you're not going to be necessarily like uh, always loving towards and all these things. When you have high bridging capital, you tend to have higher innovation. Now, ideally, we want high bridging and bonding social capital. And in my course valued, I go in this a lot more in depth. So I'm not going to bore you with it right now. We're going to talk about how to build those things uh, in that course. But for now, you just need to understand that ideally you want both. This isn't something where I'm saying one is better than the other. It's a ratio. It's a range. For my sports geeks out there, it's almost like load management, right? There's a certain level of stress that we need, but we also need some recovery there to balance that, right, in order for these adaptations to exist. But that's what I'm getting to the point is, is so many people isolate themselves in terms of their bridging and bonding social capital that they end up just trying to attack their issues in different versions of the same way. Guys, old ways don't open new doors. You're right. I just gave you a fortune cookie soundbite, but it's one that's true. Try to tell me that's wrong, right? Now, there's people that are going to say, well, there's sometimes where traditional strategies work. That's not what I'm referencing. I'm saying this. If you're somebody listening to this and you've been struggling with a certain issue, no matter how big, no matter how small, whether it's personal or professional, 
how long have you really been trying to solve this? Meaning, if you look at your strategies and everything that you've used as a proposed solution so far, if you're really honest, have you really kind of been doing the same thing? Have you really just kind of been putting a mask on the same strategy and trying it again and again and again? How often, let's take something really simple. Let's say you're somebody listening to this and you're entering the job market or you're trying to get a promotion or what have you. When's the last time you took your resume to somebody well outside your field? When's the last time you took it to somebody well outside your field and said, hey, I know you don't necessarily know me that well. Um, You don't necessarily know my profession, but can you just rip this apart from your end? Right now, of course, you have to be careful who you take that to, but maybe not. You know, everybody's going to give you some feedback that's going to be valuable because you know what? Guys, perception is subjective. Perception research goes back to the 1800s and it goes into what we say all the time on this podcast. You are only an expert if another individual perceives you as one. It doesn't matter all the titles behind your name. doesn't matter if you've done it for 39 years. At the end of the day, all it takes is one exceptional follower to not perceive you as an expert and then that muddies the well for everything else, right? There are so many times where I almost lost my mind, especially when I lived out in LA And that was right before I started, you know, I hadn't finished the book yet. I hadn't, uh, guys, I didn't even have a newsletter, let alone a podcast, anything like that, right? This was me still just in the trenches day in, day out. That's all I was really doing. Um, I knew I wanted to do something bigger, but I didn't really know how to approach it. And frankly, I didn't, I didn't like the way a lot of people in my field had approached it. You know, there was always this kind of like either all in or all out. It didn't seem like anybody wanted to spend money to present you know, their stuff in a really high level way, or it looked like somebody was always trying to oversell promises, or it looked like somebody was always trying to present themselves as a know-it-all. And I've never wanted to do that, you know, and I was super uncomfortable. I didn't know kind of how to manage certain things in terms of like, yeah, I want to put myself out there, but I don't want to do it, you know, in, in the way that everybody else has done it. And I remember I ran into a woman, the woman had worked for uh, Beats, Beats by Dre. Uh, the woman had also worked for a number of other institutions. And, you know, I just talked to her and I said, what do you think about these things? And she said, you know, listen, no matter what you do, uh, you know, you're always going to have critics, but the key is like, just do something. And inherently we all know this, but we still get so nervous about it because we get so caught up in our own ideas and we get so caught up on how people in our own field are going to perceive it. Guys, it is a wide world out there. It is a huge world out there. Who cares if a few people in your field perceive you to be something where you innovate is where you go to other fields and you learn this is exactly what people like Leonardo da Vinci did exactly what people like Ben Franklin did exactly what people like Thomas Edison did they took and looked at different ideas from different fields and different domains and that's the only way you can truly innovate quit looking under the same rocks so here's an assignment for you take out a piece of paper and write down the five to ten people you most often go to for advice. I'll say that again. Take out a piece of paper and write down the five to 10 people you most commonly go to for advice. Now, try your hardest to find common connections between those people. Whether it's the type of personality, maybe you always go to somebody that's pretty agreeable, um, that's fairly warm, or maybe you always go to somebody that is just going to tear you apart and give you brutal truths. Either way, that's, that's fine, right? But think about in terms of their personality, Think in terms of their vocation. Think in terms of what they've done to innovate themselves. Do you go to other people that tend to really play it safe, if you're honest? And that's okay if you do. This isn't, this isn't a bad or good thing. This is just an exercise, okay? Do you tend to go to people who take more risks? 
Because guys, as I talk about my course bought in and book, one of the biggest drivers of social behavior, right? We, we focus on, it's funny, we focus on traits of leadership. Traits of leadership are not the biggest drivers of social behavior. Your environment and other social factors and social agents are. And by social agent, I mean, it could be the media, it could be your peers, it could be anything, right? Those are the biggest drivers of behavior. So for example, you know, one of my best friends, and I love him to death, he doesn't listen to this anyway, um, he thinks, he, he, yeah, he doesn't listen to this anyway, uh, is the most parsimonious individual I've ever met, right? Like to a degree, could easily have been on like Jerry Springer old school episode where he's like hanging and reusing his paper towels. Could easily have been one of those guys that like runs in and takes ketchup from a, uh, like a restaurant and refills his ketchup thing at home. Now, I love this dude. Super educated, super nice. He'll probably punch me for saying this, but it's a reality, right? He's, he's one of those guys. So anytime I tell him, hey, I'm going to this conference or I'm going to that, he's just like, man, you spent a lot of money on this stuff. But I also recognize that in his field, that's not always required, right? It's encouraged. It's not required. So when I ask him and other individuals like him, you know, whether I should do this or whether I should invest in that, or, you know, I bought some new podcasting equipment the other day so I could make this better for you guys. Um, you know, he's always going to say, no, you're crazy. Put that into a 401k or something like that. Now I do those things too. But then I have another friend that's the other end of the spectrum. Guys, you know, when I told him and this scared the hell out of me, and I'm being honest with you, uh, you guys give me some time out of your day. The least I can do is be honest with you. The courses I create, you know, cost tens of thousands of dollars. And that is scary as hell. I mean, you're talking to somebody, again, I grew up with poor parents. Um, I've never really had, I never had a real paycheck until 25. I've always had crappy benefits any place that I worked. Um, right now I pay my own insurance, right? I'm self-employed. I, you know, I pay my one employee and all those things, right? So finances aren't easy to come by. So when I'm writing a check for that, that's a whole hell of a lot of faith that something's going to do good in the world and I'm going to get that back. But when I tell one friend like that, he's like, that's what you got to do. You got to spend money to make money. And the funny thing is, is even though both of these guys can be on extremes in certain ways, you know, what I try to do is I try to get a diverse group of them and people like them together to kind of, I'll, I'll give them an idea, something I'm considering. And I'll talk to, you know, anywhere from three to 10, whoever answers the phone, people about it. And I'll be like, what do you think? You know, and don't just tell me what's a good idea and bad idea, like rip it apart. And you just have to think. So again, go into when you're writing these five to 10 people down, look at their personality, look at their level of risk aversion, right? Look at their own tendencies, look at their fields. Again, if nine out of 10 people you're asking guys advice for, if you're a coach listening to this or other coaches, you're missing out. You would never tell like a young athlete, hey, just play one sport. Just play one sport for as long as you can. We tell them the opposite. Okay, and my, for my non-strength and conditioning audience, we'll explain that on a future episode. Um, but if you are curious now, I have that on YouTube. What It's called what, what Age Should Athletes Start Training? And we talk about this. But we want kids to play a wide variety of sports for the same reason that we want kids to get outside and climb trees and do different things because it breeds a diverse set of movement skills. It helps them neurologically. It helps them in a lot of developmental ways that indirectly and directly can help them become better athletes and just live healthier lifestyles. But yet the advice we seek we tend to do the same. We tend to do the exact opposite. We specialize, right? So again, I'll say it five to 10 people look at their commonalities of personalities, um, their risk aversion, level of risk aversion, uh, look at their field, the field that they're in, and just try to like think of five to six other things that you can just draw parallels. What you guys are trying to do is get a profile. You're trying to get a profile of your problem solving. And I guarantee you, if you've been stuck for a while, you're doing the same thing. Guys, we see it all the time with my coalition group. 
Somebody will say, hey, I want to join. Great. What's the issue? Right. Well, the issue is I'm, you know, I'm not making much money in my field. I got a family to support. There doesn't seem to be any way out. Okay. How much do you typically invest in continuing education? What do you typically do for advice? Well, I don't really invest in that. Or, you know, I buy books that are more technical or, you know, I talk to other coaches and it's like, how long have you been dealing with this problem? And almost always, if they give us those other answers, they've been dealing with this problem for anywhere from two to 10 years because the problem never necessitates a different solution. There's nobody in their network being like, hey, dude, you know what I mean? You need to do X, Y, and Z. You need to be held accountable in these ways. You need to consider these ideas. Guys, some of the best things you can do uh, is, you know, I I can't believe I'm going to say this because old me would have like just laughed my ass off at this. So typically I read books or research journals, but I started started just getting magazine, old school magazine subscriptions again to different fields. Now, there's a lot of coaches and leaders that already do things like the Harvard Business Review and things like that. But guys, there's a lot of other like, get Entrepreneur Magazine, get Fast Company, get, you know, get Psychology Today. These things are never going to dive as deeply as you want. So they should never be your main, uh, you know, resource, but they're going to give you just different ideas and strategies. When you look at the CEO of some startup who's 29 in Silicon Valley or, uh, you know, somebody in rural Missouri, you know, who has done a mom and pop thing that now they've scaled, you're listening to people that have dealt with such a wide range of problems And something they're going to say, while maybe not directly related to you, is going to hit a point where you're like, yeah, I could try that, right? I'll give you a specific example. If I were just to ask people in my field, should I start a podcast? Should I have a newsletter? Should I have uh, like a a business and personal development group or a professional and personal development group? Should I do these other things? Everybody in my field, I know what they already said. No, you should coach. You should do this. If you do all that stuff, you're a sellout. You're not a true blue. You're not this. Guys, I heard it for probably 10 years. When I ask other people in other fields, they'd say, well, do you think that you have some stories that could maybe help people? Do you think that you actually would provide solutions or are you just going to get up there and spout bullshit? Do you think you could put out resources that are helpful? If so, you're an idiot for not doing those things. And I remember specifically, one of my friends said, and he's going to be on this podcast, his name's Carl Coward, right? Many of you are going to hate his episode because he says some things a lot of you are not going to agree with. And I always just ask people, think whatever you want about this podcast, but respect the opinions of others. Don't isolate your perspective. But Carl goes, sounds like you really have an educated field for sure, especially due to the scientific rigor and everything they have to go through. But it's pretty dumb in regards to how it wants to scale its ability to help others. And that in and of itself was my like wake up moment. Like, yeah, you know, well, yeah. Like why, why would we sit here in in other fields where they celebrate 30 under 30 and they, you know, people that have made it and they, uh, they want people to share ideas and there's business development groups where, you know, my dad belongs to a rotary club for a business he owns and all these business leaders get together. And then what do we do as strength coaches? Few times a year, we go to the same friggin' conferences, listen to the same friggin' topics. Uh, you know, like if you go speak at those topics, they maybe pay you two hundred dollars. They don't pay you for your flight. Like the way our field strength coaches treats these events gives you insight into how seriously they even take them. Right? It doesn't matter how big they are. It matters how helpful they are. Now, are they helpful for networking? Sometimes, yeah, but. How many of you listening right now, whether you work in business or strength and conditioning or education, right? Like how many of you have done enough networking at this point in terms of these events where it's like, yeah, I get that I can go see some buddies and that's useful and that's valuable. But like how many of you have real problems that need to be solved that certain organizations that govern what you guys do have just like ignored that? 
they've almost just kind of created these events now where it's like, yeah, we'll get some presentations. Few of them will be interesting. Uh, it'll be at a big venue. We know how these things go. Like guys, that can't be how development takes place anymore. It can't. People need to challenge each other's ideas. Almost everything needs to be far more interactive and less presentation based. People have to get around other people. They have to evaluate uh, peers. They have to uh, sit back and look more deeply into the strategies that they're using. I could go on forever. Listen, I want to keep this under 20 minutes. So I'll just say this again, diversify your perspective, get rid of your old network. And I I'm saying that strongly to get your attention. I'm not saying kick those people out of your life. I'm saying like, get rid of always, like, don't always go to them. Like for a while, take the 10 most common people you go to for advice. Do not ask them for advice for several months, maybe even a year. Challenge yourself right? Go to other business or go to other events, go to business conferences, go to marketing conferences. If you guys are in business and marketing, come to sports science conferences, come to strength and conditioning conferences, go learn from broad fields, go to an art museum, learn about what an artist did and how they struggled. Go read a a book about history, a historical figure that came up during a certain time where they had an idea and they were chastised for it. Go read these things. If you want a particular interesting story, uh, go back and listen to my course bought in about Ignaz Semmelweis, the father of human hand hygiene. This guy was derided, derided because he told medical practitioners that they should sterilize before and after surgery. He was eventually put in an insane asylum, beaten and died of septicemia, which was a different version of the same form of the disease he was trying to occur, uh, cure. Because guys, you know what? There was an entire profession then and I'm talking about people in the medical field, that they thought the way to communicate their expertise was wearing these huge black frock coats that were stiffened with blood and viscera. That was the sign of a healthy practice because if you had more blood on your coat, you were a busy doctor. That is what so many people do. They try to solve their problems by these like signaling type solutions. And all these other doctors, if they just asked each other at the time, they'd be like, no, this is fine. And people were dying. Women were dying at a rate of one in six giving birth of childbed fever. I won't go into the rest because it's in my course and many of you have heard it before, but that's where they got the term, the Semmelweis effect or reflex rather. The Semmelweis reflex is when people react really strongly, defensively, angrily when they hear advice that they consider to be counterintuitive or that goes against a doctrine that they believe. Guys, get rid of that reflex. Seek other perspectives you'll get out of the rut. And you know what? That's going to cost you time. And you know what? That's going to cost you money. And you know what? That's going to cost you pride because you're going to be the dumbest person in the room again. And you should be. You should never be the smartest person in the room. You should never look for confirmation bias. Get out of your own circle. Go build a new one. You can still include the other one. Love those people. That's great. They're your colleagues. But get out of your own zone. All right, guys, hope this was helpful. I appreciate you as always. Um, Come back to these things. Make sure you fill out the worksheet, okay? These are free downloadable worksheets so you don't forget what we talk about on the podcast and you can get them at artofcoaching.com. Just go to artofcoaching.com, go to the podcast section and every episode is gonna have worksheets that you guys are gonna be able to download and it helps you remember these things. We have people that take these worksheets, guys. They fill it out. It goes over key points in the podcast. It asks them to reflect, Um, A lot of people put three holes in it, put it in a binder. And they've done that for 50 or 60 of the episodes so far. There's a lot of ways you can use that. And as always, I want to thank Brad Lashins, Kevin Whitesell. I want to thank Stuart Venable and a number of other people that are helping with those worksheets. 
I'll put links below if you want to check them out and connect. These are members of our coalition, great people. They're doing phenomenal things themselves. Okay, so that's a great example of get out of your own network. If you don't know these people, I'm going to be highlighting some different folks uh, that are part of our coalition program and are helping out with some of these projects every single month. Okay, so I'm, I'm doing part of the networking for you. Reach out. They're anxious to hear from you. And I'm always blessed to have you guys listening. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Oh, you're still listening. Listen, I'm glad that you stuck around for a little bit. I want to make sure you guys know about the newsletter that I put out each month. I'm not somebody that tries to inundate uh, your inbox or anything like that. So you don't have to worry. You're not going to hear from me every day. I have a job and family responsibilities, much like all of you. But I do put out a newsletter that has helpful links. Uh, it'll showcase new episodes, new events. It'll tell you where I'm going to be and, and what I'm going to be speaking on. So if you're interested, make sure to go to the show notes or you can go to artofcoaching.com backslash start. Again, that's artofcoaching.com backslash start. Join the newsletter. It is the absolute best way to stay up to date with everything. I announce anything I do there first. It always gets announced through the newsletter first and then social media and everything else. So artofcoaching.com backslash start. And again, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Appreciate you joining me.